everybody, Julie with Hefzibah Talks A Lot here. This is just a random thing, but I was sitting here thinking, you know, well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, it's almost, oh, it is 10 o'clock at night and I, I'm weird. I'm a night owl. I don't know if anyone knows that about me. Uh, I do my best thinking at night, which is why I cannot sleep, but I really want my podcast to stand out. So I'm trying to uh, get away from... Um, the randomness and the rants. Uh, I consider the most of my podcasts were just rants. I just felt like talking and I did. So um, this series is going to obviously address that. Uh, this preamble might possibly go on the beginning of every single one of the series that I do, uh, just um, so you know where I am. But it's really interesting because I, I looked up a Christian podcast and then, you know, there's tons of people named Christian. So you kind of, oh, wait, that's not what I needed. Uh, but, but then I looked up um, some uh, Christianity podcasts. And it's really funny because there was a list of, of three podcasts in a row. And they were, um, they all had the, the different, so there was normal Christianity, diligent Christianity, and radical Christianity. Um, ironically, or possibly not, radical Christianity had no podcast whatsoever. So, uh, either it's a brand new podcast idea and they haven't fully launched it yet, or they just did that and then it fell away. Most of the Christianity podcasts I opened had like one or two or three podcasts and they were like, we're all in like 2018. So it's an interesting phenomenon with our Christianity that people can have these amazing podcasts that go on forever and Christianity podcasts tend to fizzle out and that's basically what happened with mine although mine was Christianity and random things so I stuck to my original plan but I'm revamping my podcast to be focused on Christian things uh, mainly because I need to study God's word and I feel like if I love doing podcasts which I do uh, it's a motivation for me to spend time in God's Word so that I can create a podcast for you. So that's my goal. Um, the uh, Diligent Christianity had two podcasts in it, I think. It's irony, I'm just telling you. And the Normal Christianity had tons. Isn't that so relatable? We are normal. And we want to face things that, or hear things that... Uh, help us with the normal, right? Um, but no one wants to be radical, which is ironic in and of itself because God has called us to be radical. He really has. And I don't mean, you know, in your face, Bible thumping, crazy, horrible people that have no respect for the love that God has for everybody. I'm talking about radical to the point that my life does not blend in with this culture and my life does not blend in with this world. Radical and diligent oh yes he does want us to have diligent christianity where we are dedicated and focused and we have that steadfastness and we stick to it so this is my preamble before my series and i plan to continue doing series so hopefully um that happens so i just hope that you enjoy my podcast and i hope that it continues to get better however I am human, so please send me your thoughts, ideas, comments, um, please be kind. You can be constructive in your criticism, just be kind. Um, anyway, to htal.podcast at gmail.com, and I will love hearing from you because so far, I haven't heard from anybody when I made this little blurb for the beginning of my podcast, so there you go. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hello, everybody. Julie with Hefzibah Talks A Lot. And this is the first official part of the series on A Few Women of the Bible. And I'm really excited. I hope you're excited. I'm talking about uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. 
so this first segment is just going to be uh, the scripture. And then I'm going to do another segment. Because if you don't want to hear me read the scripture, you can skip it. I just figure that's easier. Because um, the names, depending on what platform you're listening through, <clears throat> the name of the podcast segments are shown. So you'll be like, okay, she's still talking about, she's still reading the scripture. And you can just skip and get to the meat. Um, if you've already read it. And you should have. But if you didn't, you can sit and hear me read it. If you want to. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, I'm reading from the Contemporary English Version because one of the Bibles I have back in the States is that version and it's one of my favorite versions. So we're reading John chapters four, chapter 4 verses 3 through 42. Jesus left Judea and started for Galilee again. This time he had to go through Samaria. And on his way he came to the town of Sychar. I'm going to pause right there. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He chose to. Okay? We talk about that later, but he just had to say that. Um, it was near the field that Jacob had long ago given to his son, Joseph. The well that Jacob had dug was still there, and Jesus sat down beside it because he was tired from traveling. It was noon, and after Jesus' disciples had gone into town to buy some food, a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well. Jesus asked her, Would you please give me a drink of water? You are a Jew, she replied, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink of water when Jews and Samaritans won't have anything to do with each other? And Jesus answered, You don't know what God wants to give you, and you don't know who is asking you for a drink. If you did, you would ask me for the water that gives life. Sir, the woman said, You don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this life-giving water? Our ancestor Jacob dug this well for us, and his family and animals got water from it. Are you greater than Jacob? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again, but no one who drinks the water I give will ever be thirsty again. The water I give will become, in that person, a flowing fountain that gives eternal life. The woman replied, Sir, please give me a drink of that water. Then I won't get thirsty and have to come to this well again. And Jesus told her, Go and bring your husband. And the woman answered, I don't have a husband. That's right, Jesus replied. You're telling the truth. You don't have a husband. You have already been married five times, and the man you are now living with isn't your husband. The woman said, Sir, I can see you are a prophet. My ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say Jerusalem is the only place to worship. Jesus said to her, Believe me, the time is coming when you won't worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans don't really know the one you worship, but we Jews do know the God we worship, and by using us, God will save the world. But a time is coming, and it is already here. Even now the true worshipers are being led by the Spirit to worship the Father according to the truth. These are the ones the Father is seeking to worship Him. God is Spirit. And those who worship God must be led by the Spirit to worship Him according to the truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah will come. He is the one we call Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. I am that one, Jesus told her, and I am speaking to you now. The disciples returned about this time and were surprised to find Jesus talking with the woman, but none of them asked Him what He wanted or why He was talking with her. The woman left her water jar and ran back into town. But she said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Everyone in town went out to see Jesus. While this was happening, Jesus' disciples were saying to him, Teacher, please eat something. But Jesus told them, I have food you don't know anything about. His disciples started asking each other, Has someone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, My food is to do what God wants. He is the one who sent me, and I must finish the work that he gave me to do. You may say there are still four months until harvest time, but I tell you to look, and you will see that the fields are ripe and ready to harvest. Even now the harvest workers are receiving their reward by gathering a harvest that brings eternal life. Then everyone who planted the seed and everyone who harvests the crop will celebrate together. So the saying proves true. Some plant the seed and others harvest the crop. I am sending you to harvest crops in fields where others have done all the hard work. A lot of Samaritans in that town put their faith in Jesus, 
because the woman had said, This man told me everything I have ever done. They came and asked him to stay in their town, and he stayed on for two days. Many more Samaritans put their faith in Jesus because of what they heard him say. They told the woman, We no longer have faith in Jesus just because of what you told us. We have heard him ourselves, and we are certain that he is the Savior of the world. So we are going to just launch into this. But before we do, um, just a couple things. One, there will not be music on this part of the podcast because I feel music is a little bit distracting. I felt like it was uh, necessary for the preamble and necessary for the scripture. And hopefully I continue that in the future and have some consistency because that's my goal. But I don't feel like the meat of this should have music playing in the background. Um as soothing as it is in our world of constantly having background noise, um, it's just not going to happen. And two, I want to get into the habit of starting and hopefully remembering to close my podcast in prayer. So I'm going to go ahead and do that now. Lord Jesus, I ask that you just bring your truth and you touch our lives with what we're going to talk about today. Um, let us hear from you and learn from your word and let us be changed. Let us receive any correction that may need to happen, any deliverance, any encouragement, and just let your word flow through us and that we seek your truth. I ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. So we're just going to launch into this. And uh, at some points it's going to sound like I'm reading because I am, because like I said, I have actually done research and I'm trying to keep these podcasts from being all over the place. However, something may occur to me um, because even when I was researching this, things I never noticed before in the scripture occurred to me. So something may occur to me and I may have to just throw it in there. But we'll see what happens. All right. So when Jewish people traveled and the route um, would take them through Samaria, they would rather add time to their journey in order to avoid Samaria entirely um, rather than to take the direct route through that land. Jesus didn't do so this time. He went the most direct route and he arrived at Sakar and the area of Jacob's well and he chose to rest there. Why? Well, it's because he was expecting someone. He was expecting her. Jesus sent all the disciples away. And why did he do so? because he knew that no woman would feel safe approaching a place alone where a group of men were standing around in the heat of the day. Was only the woman's village nearby? You know, instead of there being like other places, like five scattered villages, or was it only her village? Where did the disciples go for food for themselves and Jesus? I surmise it was the woman's village that they went to, and Jesus knew this. However, he sent them all away so that he could speak with this woman. He could have reached the village, villagers directly by entering the village. However, he chose to set aside time to meet with the Samaritan woman and bring her to a new place, setting her free to be a spiritual leader, not a stigmatized woman with five previous marriages. Would the villagers have responded the same way had Jesus just continued on to the village bypassing the woman and the well that day? It is difficult to say. However, Jesus wanted to meet with her rather than go to meet with the whole village first. It is difficult to believe that the village would have been as accepting of her as she was of them had the roles been reversed. I think of how Jesus had to pointedly tell the disciples to tell Peter after Jesus had risen from the dead. It is in our human nature to judge and shun others, especially those that have failed or those that don't measure up to what we expect. The fact that the woman at the well was in a place of being judged and cut off and this didn't stop her from sharing the greatest gift and opportunity that had ever come into her life is amazingly telling about the character of this woman. Secondly, Jesus didn't avoid Samaria, but the woman was avoiding others. The only reason she would go to the well during the hottest time of the day 
and do so alone was because she was ridiculed and judged by the other women. It had to be a lonely existence for her, living with a man who wouldn't commit to her in marriage. After being divorced and or widowed five times and having no children that we know of, or no young women in the house to help her keep house. It is a lo lonely life with, without friends, as we all know. And this woman had to have had been living in a very dark place and living a very dark and lonely life. And if and it was this woman that Jesus arranged to meet at the time of day when she would be most accessible to him. The conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is one of the longest recorded conversations between Jesus and an individual person. That is an interesting thing to think about. This isn't saying that it was the longest conversation he had had with any individual, obviously, just the longest that was written down and shared. That tells us that Jesus not only felt that this woman was precious to him, though he doesn't exactly tell us why, aside from him being Jesus and people being precious to him, but also that he wanted to make sure that we knew what happened by that well. Since none of the disciples were there to hear what was said, that means Jesus told them about it and John recorded it. Who knows how much more was said that Jesus didn't share or John didn't write? It is the same with Peter leaping from the boat and swimming to the shore to meet with his resurrected Lord while the others Bring, are bringing the boat to shore with all the fish. What was said by that fire? It isn't recorded for us. We know that the conversation resulted in Jesus asking three times if Peter agape loved him, with Peter responding about phileo love, which is the one that Peter could truly say yes to. The first two times Jesus asked if Peter agape loved him, and Peter responded with the affirmative using phileo. Returning to the well, the woman was empowered to not cower or be silent. She asked questions and received answers. And she was one of the few people that Jesus confirmed undeniably that he was the Messiah in actual affirmative words. As we see in the scripture, she tells him that, I know that the Messiah will come and he's the one we call the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And he says, I am that one. Jesus told her, and I am speaking to you now. There's only a few times that he outright says, I am Christ. I am he. I am the one. And she is one of the ones he said it to. It is startling that Jesus was speaking to a woman, and even more startling that she was a Samaritan. While the Old Testament speaks of the dignity of women, the Hebrew people had taken on the pagan cultural ideals of the day, a normal thing for all of us, and treated women as property, or worse. And was she even a real woman? It surprised me to learn that some theologians believe she is a symbol representative of Samaria because she is not named. Ironically, in the book of Hosea, Gomer is named. The prostitute Hosea is told to marry by God, and some theologians believe that she is not a real person either, but is an example of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Symbolism, hyperbole, whatever. Yet she has a name. So where does one truly determine whether a person actually existed or not? Apparently, it is based on what the one interpreting it wants to believe. So what do I believe? I believe that both Gomer and the Samaritan woman were very much real women, exactly as the Bible says. I believe that God doesn't make his word confusing. If Gomer or the Samaritan woman were not real women, I believe the Bible would tell us this outright. Jesus would tell his parables and be quite clear. It would be the same in these cases, I believe, especially with the Samaritan woman. Why would Jesus have John tell about this encounter as a real encounter rather than Jesus telling it as a parable? The answer is that he wouldn't, leaving the obvious answer to the question to be yes. The Samaritan woman was a real woman with real pain and real struggles, real sin and real redemption. So was she truly married and divorced five times? The Bible tells us that she has had five husbands and that the man she currently lives with isn't married to her. It is clear that women couldn't initiate divorce in those times and in that culture, so that would mean that the men would have to choose to divorce her. 
This would also mean that after a couple of these divorces, other men would still choose to marry her and then later divorce her. So this would show us a truly damaged woman. What would make her so desirable that men would seek to marry her after so many divorces? And what would make her so undesirable that she would be continually set aside? So to address this, one must surmise that while there could have been one or two divorces, more than likely she was widowed most of those times. However, that still begs the question, if her husbands were dying so consistently, why would a man marry her? Well, apparently, the most recent man asked the same question and chose to cohabitate with her rather than marry her. The most difficult thing about this is that this happened in a time when cohabitation was definitely not a thing and not something as widely accepted as it is today. Why would a man and woman choose that life? I don't honestly have the answer for that. However, cohabitation in that day was either a prostitution thing or you were a concubine. It is believed that she was possibly a concubine in a household. This would be an acceptable practice in that culture, but mainly it was for more prominent persons. Either way, she was definitely going against the grain and breaking the norms of society, and not in a good way, leading her to being judged and ostracized. It couldn't be prostitution because she was living with a man, so it was more likely as a concubine. Plus, I think the Bible would have outright told us that she was a prostitute if that were the case. So this is just my thoughts on the subject. I did not find any actual research about this. I probably could look some more and maybe I will find something, but I didn't find anything. <laughs> okay, so toward the end here, after the disciples come back, she leaves her water jar. And there's a reason that this is in the telling of the story. Firstly, what woman would do so? Water is life. That well wasn't just a short jaunt from the village. It was a trek and the water jars were heavy. And then filled with water, they became even heavier. Just like Peter leaving the boat and the fish haul behind to meet Jesus on the shore alone, this woman chooses to leave behind her water jug. This has different symbolism for different people. For many, it represents the leaving behind of all things to follow Jesus. She was going to be a spiritual leader, an evangelist for Christ, starting with her village. So as the disciples had left behind all that was familiar and comforting, so did she. Another symbol is that she would be back to that well, and she would be back with her villagers in tow. She took the initiative to spread the good news that Jesus was the Messiah, and she did so without having to be told to do so. It is amazing to consider that she was so eager to share who Christ was with her village, so very eager, and that it led to amazing things. Considering this Samaritan woman, she became an evangelist, spiritual leader, apostle, whatever we want to call her, and it's amazing. For me, it is so powerful that she not only runs to tell others, but that she runs to tell those that have led her to the very isolation that gave Jesus access to her in the first place. She knew that she had found the greatest treasure, and she didn't want a single person to miss out, no matter how they treated her up to that point, or even how they would treat her after. None of that mattered. All that mattered was that the Messiah had come and he had come to Samaria, to their well, and that wasn't something to keep to oneself. I wonder if she looked back on that isolation, that rejection, those lonely treks to the well until that one fateful day when Jesus was waiting for her there, as a good thing later down the road of life. Did she realize that in that dark period, her heart and soul and life were being primed to receive the light? And in that dry season, her parched spirit was being prepared to receive the water of life? I never really considered that in the struggles of the Samaritan woman was the opportunity to meet Jesus at the well, something we could all benefit from, time alone with Jesus at the well. So what happened after the village accepted Christ as a guest? Well, as we see, many chose Christ. They told the woman that their faith had grown because they had seen and heard Jesus for themselves. It is interesting to see that their initial mustard seed of faith was based on what the woman had said. She planted the seed and their interaction with Christ on a personal level allowed it to grow. That is our lives as well. Someone tells us about Christ, we believe, and then as we choose to learn more about him, we grow in our faith. I can recall when someone commented that I must get asked out all the time and I couldn't understand why they would say such a thing I never get asked out but it was Christ in me you see 
It was his amazing love and attention that changed my appearance, that created a change others could see, that attracted them to me, but not for reasons of other physical attractions that happen. There is something about the encounters with Christ, the personal time spent, that creates a change and makes others wonder what it is that is so appealing in a person. Sometimes they ask, and sometimes they don't. I believe when the woman returned to the village, this very change rested upon her flesh, and there was no denying that something had transpired, and the villagers believed based on that alone. Based on her words and the absolute beauty of Christ upon her, they believed, invited Jesus to stay, which he did for two days, leading to their belief being further solidified and leading to many Samaritans being saved. But what happened to her? What happened to the Samaritan woman? We don't know. That, to me, is one of the biggest questions I have. Did she leave the village or stay? She would have had to either marry the man she was with or leave him. Would someone in the village have taken her in, since she was instrumental in their meeting the Messiah? Possibly. Was this her home village, or did she have a village to return to? And did she return to it? Did she become a follower of Jesus, being a part of the crowd that followed him and ultimately part of the new church? For me, the two most feasible options are that she remained in the village, either married or not, but no longer living in sin, or she followed Jesus and became part of the New Testament church. As I said in the introduction podcast, I believe she wasn't named so that she would not be chased by the stigma of her past when others in the church met her. The disciples had to have known her name. They spent two days in that village, yet John abstains from saying it, and I believe there is a reason. We won't know this side of heaven as to why this was the case. I believe that God has something to tell us about that, but we just won't hear it here. The Samaritan woman is definitely one of the richest parts of the New Testament for me. There is so much to learn in her story, so much to see, and I've barely scratched the surface. Based on all the passionate things that I know and all the things that I envision in my life, I know that there is just so much more that we are not seeing, so much more that we can miss. Because like I said, even today, I was able to see stuff I never thought of and I never considered. And I believe that that is what God's word is like to us. That we can read it countless other times. And it will still take another time of reading it to find something else. His book never gets old. His word never gets old. So as I close this podcast, I once tried to create a women's newsletter. And it was going pretty well for a time. But then it just wasn't. But in my two issues that I put out, I talked about the Samaritan woman. And I'm going to read those two little short things to you. This was way back in, uh, let's see, March of 2014 that I wrote the first one. Um, So the first one I talk about, or the first writing I do about her in the first issue, is the woman in the well finding confidence in Christ. We all have a past. We have all done things we are not proud of, lived through things that damaged us, and witnessed things that tainted us. Yet we are still valuable to Christ. Consider the Samaritan woman at the well. She had definitely lived a life that made her an outcast wherever she went. When she would leave her village to draw water, she would do so at a time when the other women wouldn't be there, and Jesus knew this. Jesus arranged this meeting that would appear to all others as chance. The disciples had been sent away to find food for Jesus while Jesus sat at Jacob's well in the heat of the day and waited. The woman had to be wary to approach the well and see a Jewish man sitting there, even more so when he asks her for water. Feeling the endless rejection and judgment of others, she engages Jesus in a conversation, opening the door for him to reach deep into her life and bring radical change, not only to her life, but to her village. This woman, who had been married five times, and currently was living with a man, not her husband, encounters God in the flesh and overcomes her shame and condemnation in order to return to her village and call those who rejected her to come and meet Christ, the man who truly knew her. 
From this, the village invites Christ to stay, which he does for two days, and they come to believe in him, saying, Now we no longer believe just because of what you said, for we have heard him ourselves, and we know that he truly is the Savior of the world, the Christ. Don't let your past or the pain from your life keep you from meeting with Jesus at the well. Every encounter with Jesus will leave you alive, vibrant, and refreshed, for he is the living water. From each encounter, return to your village and tell others to come and meet Jesus, the Christ. So that was my, um, that was my first newsletter. Um, and like I said, that was back, that was a while ago. And, and the point of the newsletter was to just encourage women. Um, and, uh. I really wish I had stuck with it because it was really a, um, it was a stretching time for me because I had to, I was creating all the content myself, but, uh, that's okay. I don't think it was time. It was not timing. I don't really have an audience to send it to now anyway. Um, so, uh, the woman at the well, her story didn't end there. And this is the April 2014 issue. The only other issue that exists. Um, so it says, if you are like me, you took some time to consider and wonder about the Samaritan woman at the well and what happened after Jesus left the village forever changed. We know for a fact that her life was changed. We choose to believe that she took the steps, as we all did, to leave behind the circumstances Jesus had found her in. Did she return to her parents' home? Did she marry the man she was living with? How did her life continue moving forward from that day on? One thing that we can be assured of is that her story didn't end when Jesus left the village and those who despised her informed her that they believed in the Savior due to what they'd seen, no longer just because of what she said. We know that her testimony had weight and value, even in a town where she was alone and shunned due to her sinful lifestyle. Just like the woman at the well, our story doesn't end after our encounter with Jesus. In fact, we continue to walk and grow and change, and yes, fail, and thankfully we continue to have encounters with the risen Lord. It is easy to look back at what was and consider it to be the best times of our lives, to long for them, to desire to return to them. Those days when everything seemed to come easily as a young believer, those days when friendships were simple to, be, to maintain and blessed all involved, seem to be the places where we long to return and dwell. Remember, however, that this is a journey, and just as the woman at the well had, made, had to make choices and continue in her journey following after Jesus, so must we. It is a dangerous snare to remain at the well, to remain at the place where Christ first found us and met with us. Rather, we are called to run the race and to follow after him. Jesus is an amazingly tender leader. He takes us through dark forests and bright meadows. There will be storms and there will be difficult days, but there will always be strength, joy, support, and help from him. He provides for all our needs, including the mental and spiritual and emotional ones. Don't linger at the well. Go and share the wonder of him. Chase after him. Follow him. Go to the courts and sit at his feet and never ever return to what once was. He called you out of that place for a reason, for a purpose, and it cannot be found staying in the same place where he first met with you. This is a journey. It is a journey we are blessed to take with other believers. Our testimonies and our experiences will help others if we leave the well and speak the truth and revelation of Christ. We are designed to be conduits of Christ's love in this world. In order to give, you must be filled. Take time to be with him, to speak with him, and then bless others. All right, and to completely wrap up this podcast before we close in prayer is a blog entry that I wrote um, a while back. I'd like to tell you when I wrote it, but I don't quite remember. Um, but it was a while ago. And it's entitled, He Loved Her Enough to Wait for Her. I used to blog a lot. I don't do that anymore. But anyway, he loved her enough to wait for her. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. 
Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. All right, so I'm just going to do my little caveat note here. That's Jesus. That's from John 4, but apparently that's probably the message translation. And I didn't put any of that information there, but I mean, I know who it is, but I'm just telling you. Okay. So here we go. I love the Samaritan woman. Consider firstly that we never know her name. It would be like Facebook exploding about the Santa Fe woman, though she wouldn't be at a well. I have never had a boyfriend, never opted to move in with a guy and live with him outside of wedlock, never been married or divorced, but still, I love the Samaritan woman. The damage that occurs in a relationship that is shattered, no matter the level of intimacy, is deep and continuous. In fact, when we are damaged, it is hard to open up again. What do we know of the Samaritan woman at the well, the very woman that Christ waited for? Not a lot. I think that's for a reason. If God wanted us to know her name, he'd have told us. If he wanted us to know more details about her brokenness, he'd have told us. Consider how easily we excuse ourselves, be it in a good way or a bad way, when we know more details than we should. Consider the Pharisee seeing the tax collector praying. At least I'm not like this tax collector, he grumbled, as the man condemned was face down, crying out to God with an abandon that most of us lack. So God leaves out the details of the Samaritan woman so that we can't say that we're better than she. Would we want to be better than a woman that is an outcast and Jesus chooses to wait for, to meet with, to have a divine encounter with, a woman who changes the course of her village with her testimony, putting aside her fears of being hated and judged, as she surely was, just so others could meet Jesus? I dare say that many of us would like to be better to be more than this woman, mainly because we focus on the sinful past of her rather than the redeemed future. How so like our churches today? Or maybe not. Maybe our churches today focus more on the excusing of sin than the judging of it. And why not? Surely we are all under grace, yes. Surely none of us are perfect. All of us are meager humans who can only do so much. God understands. He understands our weakness to sin. Surely he does, but then why does the word of God say, God is holy, you be holy? Reference 1 Peter 1.16. There must be a reason. Of course, we cannot be perfect, but neither can we be reprobates. Yet, that is exactly what we attempt to be. A reprobate is defined as one incapable of properly performing its function of moral discrimination, having no linguistic warrant, and Christians who ostensibly were in the true faith, but either hypothetically or actually are represented as having failed to meet the test. Those who by their life have disappointed the expectation of good works. The word always retains the meaning of rejection because of failure in trial. And let me just see. I'm going to tell you the reference on that one because I obviously quoted something. The CI for a quote reference. Okay, let's see where that is. Sorry, give me a second. I, I really referenced a lot for someone that doesn't like research. I referenced so many things. Um, it was HTTP colon backslash backslash um, www.biblestudytools.com backslash dictionary backslash reprobate. Okay, so there you go. I have cited the location of that definition I stumbled through reading. Alright, and see also Jeremiah 6.30 Romans 128, 2 Corinthians 13, 5-7, 2 Timothy 3.8 Titus 1.16, Isaiah 1.22, Proverbs 25.4, 1 Corinthians 9.27, and Hebrews 6.8. The pure bride of Christ is in danger of becoming anything but, in the guise of being politically correct and not offensive. I must say that the Bible has offended me on many occasions. It's what you do with the offense that matters. The Bible confronts, is considered a two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12-13 in the Message Translation states, God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, and laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it, no matter what. Yet how many churches today are actually full doctrine, full gospel believing, and following churches? How many under a guise of love have accepted sin into their doors and made it okay? I dare say it's many. Yet I digress. This isn't about the church, nor my opinions of it, but rather about a single woman, a Samaritan woman, at a well, late in the day, alone save one man, the greatest man to ever live, who sat weary and hot beside the well, waiting, waiting, waiting for her. 
Consider her past for a bit. There are many possible scenarios. I consider two primarily. One, she married for love and was broken by the divorce, the loss of this love. Two, it was an arranged marriage, yet she was still broken by the divorce, the loss of the union. One thing to know is that the man is the one to divorce the woman, as she had no rights at the time. So he put her out, pushed her aside, for whatever reason it may have been. Was he unfaithful? Was she? Was there abuse? Was she barren? Why would he set her out? We'll never know this side of heaven, and that must mean it matters little in the grand story. She was married, and she was divorced. That we know for truth. Uh, caveat here. As I said, I've you learned something new. Or she was widowed. <laughs> so, it isn't only one or the other. She could have been widowed. Moving on. Consider how many churches... Consider... How in many churches today, divorced persons are considered second-class citizens in the family of God, outcasts in a land of outcasts, the lepers of the church. Divorce isn't contagious, yet we treat it like it is. So it is that they, were, they are ignored, their pain swept into a corner, and the topic taboo. Unless, of course, you're an overzealous hypocrite and you shout your condemnation from the rooftops, misquoting and misusing the scripture regarding divorce and adultery in, in order to shame divorced people into eternal singleness. Unless they want to remarry their unsafe spouse, return to abuse, return to immorality, well, then they can remarry with the Lord's blessings. False heresy in the church, allowing immoral joining out of wedlock, allowing same-sex couples to lead ministries and remain in inappropriate relationships, relationships God himself condemned from the beginning, allowing abortion, abuse, and controlling behaviors, while beating the divorced pers person over the head with heavy Bibles. Knowing what I know in today's society where divorce is more prevalent than even imagined back in Jesus' day, I can understand the woman's fear and loss. Yet, let's look at her life even closer. She found another spouse. She not only found another spouse, she found four more, marrying and divorcing, note, or being widowed, five times in all. Did Jesus call her an adulteress? Nope. Did he tell her what a horrible woman she was, how none could love one such as she? Nope. It is apparent that Christ loved her. Wow, even in the midst of harsh judging faces of others, Christ sat at a well and waited for this broken, damaged, used, and abused woman to come to him, to come to draw water alone, so he could bring her to the healing she craved. So what right do we have in the church to condemn those who have divorced, for whatever reason, and found love again? What right do we have to condemn those who have divorced and never found love again, if Jesus himself could see the value in a married woman, and a woman married and divorced five times, or widowed, and living in sin at the moment of their meeting, can't, why can't we? Consider that Christ does not encourage her sinful choices of cohabitation either. This is, that is, this is not to say that we blindly ignore the sinful immorality of ourselves, yet we don't even see the end result. Does she make the relationship right with the man she is living with? Do they marry? And does, she, does this one truly last? Does she return to her father's house? and live out the rest of her life as a single woman? Does she follow Christ to the cross and watch the man that truly loved her inside and out die? Does she know of his resurrection? Is she one of the ones he visited after rising from the dead? Most times I read the Bible for what it is and move on, but the Samaritan woman intrigues me. We have nothing in common save a divine appointment with Christ, nothing to join us through the centuries, nothing to link us as we are linked. Why should I even care? It's one of the passage of scriptures in the book of John. And why should it even matter? We see in John 4 that Christ cares for women, sees them as valuable and worthy of his time and interaction. He doesn't crush women under his heel, doesn't ignore them or reproof them. We see countless proofs of this, not just the Samaritan woman. We see the, the woman with the issue of blood, Mary in the alabaster box, Mary at the tomb. Why did Jesus wait for her there? She would have known he rose again when she saw him later, but no, he waits for her so she can run and tell the disciples he is risen, he's alive. Yet with the Samaritan woman, I wonder. I wonder why she would marry and divorce five times. Of course, now I know she could possibly have been widowed. Why she would then cohabitate with the man. A very shameful thing to do. I wonder if she had a family home to return to, if she remarried or left the village, or if she was accepted as a single woman there and made a living with the making of cloth, or something that women could do in those days to live. Did she ever have children? Did she become a full disciple of Christ? Do we meet her later, with her name given at last, and no reference to her past as a Samaritan woman at the well? Is she one of the women of the new church talked about by Paul, or one of the other disciples? So why does it even matter? This is why. 
many of the Samaritans in that village committed themselves to him because of this woman's witness. She led the way for her village to come and meet him to invite him to stay, which he did for two days, and from her initial witness they were intrigued, and from the interactions with Jesus that followed, they were saved. A woman, outcast among outcasts, hated and alone, broken and damaged and bruised, where, where only she and Christ could see, overcame her pain and fear of rejection, and spoke boldly to the very people that despised her. Come, she called to them, come and meet the man that knew everything about me, knew my heart and soul, all the things I've done in my entire life. Is it possible, could it be, that he is the Messiah? The fact that they follow her back out to the well is amazing in and of itself. She who tread to that lonely place every single day, all alone, came that day with her village at her side. Did she ever have to make that trek alone again? Did she ever have to draw water without the chatter of other women around her again? We know the reality of people. We know that there were some that didn't accept Christ, just, that there, just as there are some today who reject him. We know that there were those that wouldn't let her leave her past behind, would still whisper behind hands and still throw her failings in her face. That happens today too. We know that there was spitting and whispering that happened as she called them to meet Jesus at the well. Some stayed in the village. Some rejected him merely because she was the one telling them of him. Maybe those had an encounter with him while he stayed in the village and accepted him. Maybe not. Sometimes in the hateful hearts of man, a message is rejected because of its messenger. Yet Christ still comes, still speaks, and still reaches out. Come to me and find rest. Come to me and never thirst again. Come to me and have peace. The Samaritan woman at the well strikes at my very heart. The other two women encounters that burrow deeply into my soul is the alabaster box and the encounter of Jesus and Mary by the tomb after his resurrection. The outpouring of worship and abandon and the simple way that Christ says the name of the one he loves. Those speak to me. Jesus shows us that he truly cares about the tenderness of a woman's heart, that he can send women to proclaim the truth of who he is, that women can change the lives of those around them by following Christ and answering his call. This is one of the reasons a Samaritan woman at the well speaks to me. I don't wonder at the life of Mary at his feet before or after, or at the tomb before or after. I don't wonder what drove Mary to a life of prostitution or what she did later after the death and resurrection of the man that saw her through the broken heart and fallen state to the beauty within. I just take for granted that she was saved and redeemed and her past matters not, and that she loved him enough to follow him even after his resurrection, and that she probably married and moved on through life and is in heaven now. Yet with the Samaritan woman at the well, there is a pool, a wondering, a deliberate searching of the what-ifs that surround her. What if she remained in the village and married? What if she returned home and never married? What if she had children? What if she remained in the village and lived alone as a weaver? What if she followed Christ all the way to the cross and beyond? What if she helped build the church with the other followers of the Messiah? So many unanswered things in her life, and yet we know that if God wanted us to know, he'd have told us. The information we receive in this passage of Scripture shows us that we are not to be afraid to tell him, to tell of him, that we are not to that we are not defined by our past, that Christ will come to meet us, even when others avoid us, that we are loved, loved, loved beyond any measure, and that Jesus will even send away the judging eyes of believers in order to meet with us alone, in the place of our isolation and pain, in order to bring us to a place of peace, healing, and redemption, because the individual matters to him, and that will never, ever change. And that's the blog that I wrote. And I've written many blogs about the Samaritan woman because I uh, really, like I said, I'm just obsessed. Um, and as you saw, I also mentioned the alabaster box and Mary in the garden or at the tomb. So just so you know, the, the blogs I'm planning to talk about here or, or the podcast I'm planning to do in this series were something that I've legitimately thought about for a long time. Um, so I'm just going to close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for, for telling us about the Samaritan woman, and may we learn from her life. We may not have all the answers, Lord, but what you've shown us is, like I said, it just takes a little bit of faith. And you can use anybody to tell your truth. We just have to speak. We have to spend our time with you, and we have to speak. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you show that, that women truly have value. And that you can use a woman to reach the lost. That you can use a woman as an evangelist 
as one to run ahead and tell of you. Because that's exactly what you did with the Samaritan woman. That's what you did before you commit, you told the disciples to do this. To go forth and to reach the lost. She did that before you even gave that command. And that's amazing to see. I just pray over the people that have listened to this podcast. If they don't know you, I pray that you would, you would touch their hearts and you would draw them to you. And that they would accept you. And if they do know you, I just pray that you continue to refine their lives and pour out blessings and open doors and make things clear, Lord God, because I know that your love is steadfast. May we find comfort and joy and peace in your love, even in the midst of correction and refining. In your precious name I ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and stay tuned for the rest of the series. Alright, so when I did this podcast, I I was searching forever for a song I wrote. Now, I'm not a songwriter, and I'm a okay singer. I'm definitely not a very good vocalist. Uh, when I asked God about it, he said that he gave me just enough ability in the vocal range for me to enjoy singing, but never for me to be a like a, a lead singer or anything. And And for me, like my biggest dream is to, is to be on a worship team and to, and eventually lead worship. But I don't know if that's God's desire for me or not. Um, I'm trying to, I'm not going to limit God. I don't know what his plans are, but anyway, so I wrote this song and today I was looking for something completely different. And I found that I apparently posted the video on YouTube of me singing this song. So like the first minute and a half, I took some footage from a movie about Jesus. And so like the first minute and a half of the video is basically the woman on her way to the well. So where we're starting this, she's at the well drawing water. She's already seen Jesus. He moved. She's drawing water. And then they're going to have a conversation. And then you're going to hear me singing. Now, once again, be warned, I have said I'm not a very good singer. And what I did here was I used like voice recorder. Um, like I did, uh, on my computer and I don't believe I did it on my phone, but I used voice recorder and I would record myself singing what I wrote. And then I played it and sang again. So I sent, and I think I did that like three times to give myself like backup and to do like the echoes. So it's going to sound kind of weird, but it, it is what it is. Uh, like I'm going to put the link in the description and you can watch it. And maybe the sound quality will be better. I can actually guarantee the sound quality will be, will, will be better. Because I'm currently playing it and recording it on the phone. Um, and let me think what is another thing I was going to warn you about. Uh, oh, I don't know where I got the music from. Like there's actual music playing in the background. But I don't know where it came from. Um, but it was a definitely a copyright free one that you're allowed to use. Uh, what are they called? I want to say free range and that's not right, but public domain. So it was a public domain because I wouldn't use music that wasn't mine to use for sure. Um, but I'm sure I say that somewhere in the description. I don't know. But anyway, here we go. Sorry, it's buffering. Give me to drink. Shaking, losing 
And there you go. Um, I think that song would be beautiful if like a real singer could sing it and uh, musicians could write music for it. I mean, it obviously needs tweaking. I think what happened was I wrote the lyrics because that's just me. I can write. <laughs> so I wrote this, the lyrics and then I found the music and then I found a way to make the lyrics work for the music. Uh, but wouldn't it be great if if there was a little tweaking? I know it's not perfect. And uh, to the lyrics and then they you know, a musician wrote music to actually flow better, but there you go. So I'm glad I found it. And so I just had to add it to this, um, thing because the Samaritan woman just means so much to me and as embarrassing as it is, as it is, uh, that I sing so horribly on that. Um, I just feel like I needed to, to attach it. So there you go. Hello everybody, it's Julie with Hefsaba Talks A Lot. I'm just gonna take one second, okay, maybe a little longer, to talk to you about writing.com. Now I'm not doing this for any money or anything. I'm just letting you know about a great supportive community that I think it would be great for you to join. Writing.com has been around for a long time. They actually started out as stories.com and I stumbled on them when I was a lot younger and joined and eventually they got too big for that domain and became writing.com in order to encompass more than just storytelling. This website is amazing. It is a community of writers and readers. So if you're not a writer but you love to read, join writing.com. If you don't really read a lot because you're so busy but you love to write, join writing.com. If you're a little bit of both, joinwriting.com. It's an amazing community. Now you can get a free account and then they have paid memberships. I currently just do the second tier, the upgraded membership, and it allows me to have more items in my portfolio. I love to pay to have a membership because I love to support writing.com. That's the main reason that I pay to keep my membership updated and current. But I just wanted to have an advertisement about writing.com. Once again, not for any monetary gain. It's not even an official one. Uh, They won't even know I'm doing it. But I just want to encourage people to go and join writing.com. It is truly a place that has helped me develop as a writer. It has helped me be encouraged. And I have met people there that have been my friends through the distance online and have supported me and offered me advice with my writing and has been, have been there with me or for me as I've made these transitions to China and other locations. So once again, writing.com, W-R-I-T-I-N-G.com. Join today. 